Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. The following is a CA original. Everything that we built over the last, you know, four games, we throw away, uh, I can find a reason why. But uh, the consistency that we'll build was really fragile. This is the Grizzlies Podcast with the only beat writer the Memphis Grizzlies have ever known, Ron Tillery, with columnist Jeff Conkins and pick and pop columnist Chris Harrington. I'm Jeff Calkins. I'm driving the ship today because Ron Tillery is on the road, having witnessed that uh, unfortunate happening last night in New Orleans. Joined by pick and pop columnist Chris Harrington. Ron Tillery, of course, the only B writer this franchise has ever known, at least since it arrived in Memphis. Ron, we'll start with you. Uh, what the hell happened last night? <laughs> Well, it's more like what didn't happen, and that that's the big three didn't happen, particularly uh, Mark and Mike. Um, I mean, Mark just got destroyed. I mean, we, we could talk about the team defense and the breakdowns, but Boogie Cousins came to play, and, and Mark just wasn't up for the challenge. And, and I just think he compounded uh, the bad night with his comments after the game. Uh, he didn't sound like a leader. He didn't sound like a guy who was willing to accept blame. I mean, Zebo said, listen, this is one of my worst games of the year. You know, I take full responsibility for this loss. During the five-game skid, Mike Conley was saying, I've got to be better. You know, you just get this defiant mark, and let's face it, when you're on the road, you cannot depend on role players. Your best players have got to perform, and when you hold the Pelicans to 39% shooting and less than 100 points, and all you can muster is 82 that's not a recipe for success with the talent level on this team. I think we can all acknowledge that um, that the the big three were were bad last night. Uh, you, you, you you can't win under those circumstances. In terms of the comments afterwards, Chris, let's get your thoughts. I was a little surprised to see it. I mean, obviously, I was watching the game on television and not not up close. I mean, it was it was a bad game and, and a bad loss given the context of the season. But I didn't watch that game and think. Everything they had accomplished, they've thrown away. That it was like you know, there was this total reversal back to, to, to the malaise of the past. And so I was, I was sort of surprised to hear someone on the team voice that concern. Um, it, it, my, my alarm bell did not go off to the degree that apparently Marcus Alls did. Um, and so I'm a little surprised by that. I'd be a little concerned by that to the degree that I would be concerned about it. But I do think for all the talk of the defense, and I, I think, Ron, you wrote this today, the biggest problem was on the offensive end. Obviously, the third quarter was a meltdown on both ends of the floor. But for the entire game, they did enough defensively to win that game in the end if, if yeah. they had performed offensively. Yeah, I want to I, I want to get to the wings and the productivity there a little bit in just a second, too. Sticking with Mark, though, just for a minute, because um, – it, it, the the comments were alarming because as as 
you, you each have identified something different. Chris, you thought they were they were sort of curious because th- they were so dire. They suggested some larger problem that Mark was hinting at. Ron didn't like it. Sounds like doesn't like the tone for a, a supposed leader of the team that he is that he didn't say it was on me. He talked about larger issues of trust. He didn't know who he could trust, who was behind him, et cetera. And I guess I would partly ask this. On the subject of Mark, because he is a, a continuing uh, puzzle or enigma or or whatever, it, do we – I guess I'm to the point, Ron, where, for example, like there were two weeks ago, there was the whole debate about whether he should or should not be involved in making personnel decisions and Fizz wants him to be and whatever. In the end, he's not LeBron. Like, he's not that guy, and um, I guess we can beat our heads against the wall and wish he were that guy, or we can appreciate what he is, which is an incredibly skilled big guy who thinks about basketball maybe differently and has frustrated more than one coach because of sort of he has his own ways of thinking about basketball. But if is it is it a fruitless exercise for Fizz to try to make him into something he isn't? This whole make him a captain, whatever. It's just not how he's wired. And I guess maybe I, I I'm actually reasonably okay with that. Well, I'm not uh, from this standpoint. You know, we all like Mark. I mean, I, I don't think likability is right. an issue. Uh, Mark's a fine young man, and I, I think what ultimately makes him great makes him grading uh, from a coaching standpoint because he is cerebral. And he tends to overthink everything. I mean, um, it, he didn't have any problem summoning me to his locker several years ago and say, that Mike Conley trade is stupid. It's ridiculous. They shouldn't trade Mike Conley. But when, when Fizdale comes to him and say, this is what I'm thinking about doing, what do you think? And then you say, that's not my job. That's not my job. Then you don't get the bitch. What you get to do is go out there and, and play your butt off and try to lead this team by example, which he tends not to do. I um, So I, I find at 32 years old and as a franchise player, you know, uh, it unacceptable that, that Mark won't be receptive to being uh, asked to be more of a leader. Uh, he, he was into it with Lionel. He was into it with Dave Yeager. Now he's into it with Fizz. I mean, what they're asking of him is not ridiculous. And and let's face it, these guys get major money in Memphis, not just because they're talented, but because of the intangibles they bring. I mean, Mike Conley, for instance, is not worth the highest paid contract in the NBA, but he plays with a broken face and he plays with a broken back. You know, he just he just plays and, he, he you know, and, and, and he is worth more to this team than, than his statistics will ever show. So I. Yeah. They're all in on Fizz, and Fizz knew that this was going to be a transition year from the, the grit and grind era to the modern NBA, NBA, and that he was going to have to make people uncomfortable along the way. And I'll give you know Fizz credit for being prepared for for these bumps along the road because clearly, you know, Mark's struggling with that whole leadership part. I don't know. I was rambling on, Chris. I don't know what you think about it, but <laughs> it just Chris, seems like it's it's an unnecessary struggle. Well, yeah. Now, I mean, I agree with you that the comments, even if you want to sort of criticize the team defense, you can do that in a matter of a we, not a they, right? Even if you're not mm-hmm. personally saying I had a bad game, you're saying we had a team breakdown. You can include yourself in that breakdown, and he and he and he did not do that. He he does have he has a peculiar kind of personality I think for a NBA star there's no doubt about that 
Um, and, and, you know, they, they've had success with it um, so far. And a lot of that is, has, has had to be, you know, a lot of coach leadership. I just don't know if you, know, you mentioned him being 32. Maybe 32 is sort of an old dog, new trick situation in a way. Maybe this sort of just mm-hmm. is what he is. Yeah, I, di- well, I, I didn't think last night, for example, um, I, I didn't think that was his best for the reasons you all have identified. It sounded more like it was blaming the people behind him than it was putting this stuff on. But he's not a guy who actually typically um, doesn't include himself in criticism. Indeed, right. he tends to be highly self-critical. And when he has big games, he just sounds like they're fluky because the ball went in. You know, I mean, he doesn't. He's not a I, I'm great. My teammates stink. But he is a when the systems break down, he points to the systems breaking down, which is what I think was happening last night. I guess, I, and from his perspective, I think he was being honest. He may be wrong in some ways, right? But I think he, right, he was saying right. what he believed to be true, in, in the well, sense of know, guys missing assignments and, and sort of that happening. You know what's funny about that is like, okay, so the biggest problem for Mark last night was a Demarcus Cousins had uh, three fouls at halftime, and Mark didn't go at him. I mean, maybe he's not on the court long enough to get forty-one and seventeen if Mark takes him out of the game. The other part of, of, of Mark's game is that he couldn't stay in, in front of DeMarcus Cousins. So let's just say everything broke down. Well, it started with him because they cleared one side of the court, the Pelicans, just so that Cousins right. can take Mark off the dribble. And Cousins is a willing passer. So if Jermichael Green steps up, guess what? Live for Anthony Davis or a layup for one of the guards. I mean, because Cousins is going to pass the ball. So I think, Jeff, that was what was a little different about last night. And, and, and Chris spoke to this. It wasn't Mark saying we didn't do it. He was he was pointing the finger, which is unbecoming of him, because I've always given him credit for being that guy who, when you walk in the locker room after a loss, he's the first one standing there ready to to uh, explain it. But now he like uses that as a pulpit to criticize his teammates and and, and veil shots at the coaching staff. And I, I just think for a guy his caliber and his experience, you know, that's getting old. Well, you mentioned the again the, to get back to the whole. You know, all this talk about the defense, but the offense sort of being the bigger problem last night. A lot of that starts with Mark because you mentioned the three fouls on Cousins. Mark was not aggressive at all last night. He there were a lot of times where he was passing up shots. We've seen this before, but he did not he did not want to put put his his impact put his fingerprints on that game offensively. I have no idea why, but he was not aggressive last night, and it wasn't a case of other teammates having it going and letting him sort of thrive in that sort of setup role. They needed him to step up offensively. For whatever reason, he looked like he didn't want to shoot. Yeah. Yeah, because there's only two guys on the Pelicans that did work last night, and that was Cousins and Davis. Everybody else stunk. (laughs) So the guys that they were going against stunk too. Uh, do you think you, you you mentioned veiled shots, Ron, at his teammates and the coaching staff? Um, I, I I actually I, I, last night I thought was unbecoming the way he phrased them. I don't know that they were always like typical. I don't go in there typically and hear him thinking he's throwing people under the bus all the time. Um, he's saying we played you know poorly. We didn't play the way we should play, etc. Um, but I'm interested in. The, if you think there is a disconnect between uh, between Mark and the coaching staff, uh, and, and if it's an issue, but I mean, 
I, here's what, I don't believe if they're going to try to turn him into an alpha dog leader, well, that's a fruitless exercise. You know, it's like uh, it's just not going <laughs> right. to happen. So um, but if there is some sort of disconnect, well, that, that's a that's not a good thing because they're obviously all in on Fizz. And yet Mark is the best player on this team and the, the, the critical player on this team. So is it serious? What, what when can you amplify that? Well, I don't think it's serious. I just think it's uncomfortable because Fizz is not giving up on this. Um, and I've heard it suggested that maybe he should, uh, not just from you, but but other people. But he's not because he didn't come here to be the, the uh, caretaker of grit and grind and the status quo. Uh, he came here to establish Fizzball. Uh, we, we may may or may not like it, but he has in mind what the culture should be. Um you know, the thing with Mark is, um, you know, I used to have these conversations with Jim Clements, the, the, the old trusty assistant to Phil Jackson, followed him from Chicago to the Lakers uh, when they struggled with Kobe. And Jim used to always tell me, you know, Kobe's main problem is he never sees gray. Everything is black and white to him. And I'm starting to really believe that about Mark. I mean, Mark is extremely smart. Um uh, his his disposition would never allow him to be a coach, but I mean, he knows this game better than any player I've ever, ever come across. But everything is black and white to Mark. Is either this or that, and and he really struggles with that gray area. And I think, you know, in, in some ways, that's preventing him from from you know reaching his maximum potential. I don't know that people, and I don't know, Chris, if you have thoughts on this. I don't know that people. This idea that the the that 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 everyone wants to go back into the grit and grind. I, I don't believe it. I think that's sort of a straw man that Fizdale has. I don't like people wanted Tony Allen back in the starting lineup because because uh, Andrew Harrison stunk, and the, you know so they wanted that, and they wanted Chandler Parsons sat down because he couldn't play, and he said he sucked, and he did. But I don't think people want to see him start stop shooting threes or want to go back to play. I just don't buy it. I don't like if he's fighting that monster. I don't know who he's fighting against because it's it's certainly. I don't think it's. I don't. I don't know who it is. I, so that's a separate thing. I think getting Mark to, to nudge Mark to be more of a leader, just like you nudged him to be a three point shooter, that can be constructive. But in the end, you also do have to work with something of the pieces that you have. You have to work with crazy Tony Allen, and you have to work with bully ball Zebo, and you have to. And then if you want to change it, ultimately, honestly, and maybe that's the failure of the franchise so far, you've got to get some different pieces that enable you to do more of the things that David Fisdale wants to do. Your thoughts, Chris? Well, I mean, that was the whole idea of Chandler Parsons, and he was hurt. I mean, I, I, you know, if we had a healthy Chandler Parsons playing 30-something minutes a game at small forward, um, you would have seen a different-looking basketball team this season. I think people confuse grit and grind with another Grizzlies phrase, in the mud, right? Like, in the mud, right. in, in the mud mm-hmm. connotes a specific style of play in terms of pace and this heavy sort of play. I think, when, I think most people, when they think grit and grind, they think A, playing hard, and B, playing with sort of a kind of flair and personality that you get from a Tony Allen, you get from a Zach Randolph. I don't think people, I don't think most fans see that as, as inconsistent with, hey, let's score more points, let's shoot more threes. I don't think, some people like Zach Randolph to still start. I think most people are fine with him coming off the bench. And so I agree that 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 I don't think the fan base for the most part is living in the past in a kind of um, irrational way. I think if this team had a a great young scoring guard who was really pushing Tony Allen for minutes, I think most people would be fine with Tony Allen not not being the starter anymore. But instead, it's Troy Daniels and Andrew Harrison, right? 
And I think people have have have, have accepted Zach Randolph in a lesser role coming off the bench at this stage of his career. So no, I think the I think the um invoking grit and grind in a negative sense of that's something we have to get get beyond, I, I think misses the mark a little bit. You know what? And to illustrate your point, Chris, I mean, you can tell just by the way Fisdale speaks that there's, you know, kind of a disconnect between the meaning of those phrases here and what how he thinks about it. Right. For instance, when, when they were losing, he said we were in the mud. Well, that used to be a good thing, <laughs> but he didn't see it that way. And then against San Antonio, when, you know, it got a little dicey, Vince got his technical, he's got all his guys together and he's saying, let's grind this out. You know, and, and so I I, I kind of agree with you. I mean, I, I just think this – it just speaks to the fact that this transition was going to always be uncomfortable, however you want to define the transition. I, I And I, I don't know. I, I guess it's uncomfortable, and it's maybe uncomfortable for some of the players. It was, but the truth of the matter is, is that the only thing that to me made it uncomfortable is that Chandler Parsons isn't – like that That makes it right. uncomfortable that he's not healthy. I don't, <laughs> yeah. I don't walk around talking to fans who say, I want us to play slow-down basketball, and I wish they'd stop shooting three-pointers. I do have fans who said, I wish they wouldn't play Andrew Harrison at two over Tony Allen <laughs> and whatever else. I don't – I think it's kind of a myth that we all want to play prehistoric basketball. Again, it's, it's, it, there's a difference between style play and personality, right? People want a team that plays hard. Yeah. They like the personality and the flair of these players. They want to see, they want to wave a growl towel. They want to watch Tony Allen give the first down signal. They want to watch Zach Randolph huff and puff. They want that personality and that style, that flair. That does not have to happen. That can happen in a slow game and a fast game. They want to win and win in a way that's fun. And they're not committed to to having this particular on-court style, I don't believe. Let me ask you... Um, but, but, go but, ahead. But, well, go let ahead. me just get in on this. Sure. But, but one of the conflicts, I think, is with the people who who say um, they want Tony Allen to start, it's not about grit and grind, don't acknowledge what Fizz did after the San Antonio game. Tony got benched because he was playing poorly. I mean, it's that simple. And then, like, you know, we reduced their struggles to, or, or their, their snapback to uh, Chandler about Parsons being out while ignoring... That 35-year-old Tony Allen was playing poorly. Marcus Hall was disengaged. I mean, the guys that they, they count on uh, weren't good enough at the time. So there had to be some kind of shakeup, and it wasn't that, necessarily good. In an ideal world, Tony Allen shouldn't be starting right. on this team. But they don't have a, they yeah. don't have, they don't have a better the player. Problem is he didn't, that is the real problem is they don't have someone on the <laughs> roster who's better than Tony Allen at that position. Tony Allen who's better. And so when, it's, when Andrew Harrison's your answer, um, it doesn't like you. Then that's why people started questioning the coach. I think it wasn't that yeah. it wasn't anything more than it. By the way, do you think Tony absence, Tony Allen's absence last night, had anything to do with the proceedings? Um, no, I, I you know I think Tony just been been playing really really hard in, in that four game winning streak, and, and you know we've seen it before. I, I think his, his knee did kind of you know when they talk about soreness, all that means is swelling. Uh, and so he, he needed a, he needed a game. I have no doubt uh, in my mind that you know he was going really hard, and and that knee you know kind of suffered. The, the, the and, of- and and they probably wanted to be you know a lot better for San Antonio than he would have been for New Orleans. Right. The larger question, <laughs> and this is something Chris brought up this morning on my radio show, was that the issue that they have, or one issue that they have, is without healthy Chandler Parsons. 
they're just weak on the wings. They 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 are when you've got Wayne Selden immediately stuck back into the starting lineup. Like that's your alternative. That's we're back to that, and that is I don't know if it's a crisis, but it's a real problem. Well, Chris, you, rem- huh? you remember during the losing streak, one of the games, one of, I think it was the Brooklyn game, people pointed out. Andrew Harrison and Tony Douglas combined for 40-plus minutes in that game. You had 40-plus minutes from players who are marginal NBA players. That's what happened last night. Andrew Harrison, instead of having Andrew Harrison play 10 to 15 minutes as a backup point guard, you had Andrew Harrison and Wayne Selden combined to play 40 minutes. And that's 40 minutes from guys who are marginal at best NBA players. And so I want the Selden thing is somewhat odd to me. If they If they really believe he could help them next season, it makes sense. But I don't know that he's going to help them much this season. And given that they only had four wings, one of whom is 40 years old and one of whom is, I don't know, 35 or however old Tony Allen is, I'm a little surprised that when they decided to cut Douglas and sign a wing, they didn't try to get someone who was a little bit more proven at the NBA level. What do you, Ron? What do you think, Ron? Well, I, yeah, I mean, I agree with that. But, you know, I think the uh, what you're alluding to is maybe Caspi. Uh, but you would have to have committed to him beyond this season, which I don't think the Grizzlies are in position to do, given the decisions they have to make uh, with the current roster. Um, I, I guess I'm going to need more of a sample size uh, because last night against New Orleans, uh, the wings weren't a problem. I mean, New Orleans scored 34 points in the first half. Solomon Hill was one of seven. Drew Holiday and Tim Frazier's starting guards were, were five of 20. Um, the impact came up front. And... Um, uh, but but going forward, I mean, I, I I don't disagree with you at all. I mean, that's going to be their biggest issue, particularly with Chandler Parsons being uh, uncertain. Um, so here we are. They've uh, they and and obviously there's there's no solution now. Do you believe, by the way, that if Troy Williams had been available, they would have picked him up instead of Wayne Selden? Would that will that turn out to be a mistake uh, to pick yeah. up Tony Douglas? Yeah, you know what, and and I don't know if you agree with this, Chris, but I think that was part of the motivation for for getting uh. Selden back. It's almost as if they said, well, we already like lost out on a guy who we invested in. We're not going to do that again. So just as they, they made the, the short-sighted decision to, to, to cut Troy Williams and pick up this journeyman veteran point guard in Tony Douglas, uh, they found him easily expendable just so that they could take a shot at talent that, that they, that they know uh, if they had to do it all over again, there's no way they cut Troy Williams. No way. I agree with that. Yeah, well, that 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 that, that right that that is unfortunate. All right, so now a road trip uh, continues to evolve. That was one that you obviously hoped that you'd get on this four game road trip last night because you've got San Antonio and Golden State ahead of you. Um, Grizzlies are still within striking distance of getting into the four five game, but more and more it seems more and more remote. Um, is that, can you tell organizationally, Ron, is that, are they hell bent on trying to get into the four or five game? Are they just trying to play well? Like what's the, how much of that is a focus of the team right now? I think they're trying to play well. And, and I think they feel like if, if they can get their game together uh, more consistently, then, you know, the other stuff will take care of itself, like getting a higher seat and possibly being a tough out in the first round. Uh, but, you know, the reality is they lost five in a row. They won four in a row. They're still a mediocre basketball team. Uh, and I, I think I agree with Chris in that I don't think it's as dire today as Mark tried to paint it out to be after that New Orleans loss. I just think that was a missed opportunity because their best players didn't play on the road. Uh, 
but but they certainly have got to find their stride. And while the four game winning streak was nice to negate um, or almost negate that 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 melees, um, you know, they there's just there's just still up and down. Chris. Yeah, I, I mean, I feel like in terms of seeding, uh, I told you earlier this morning, I'm not ready to to scratch the four seed off off the board. But I feel like that if they don't at least get a split these next two games, I might be ready to do that. I looked at the schedules for the four teams the rest of the way before the podcast, and I feel like they have 11 games left. I think they need to go at least eight and three to have a hope to get into the four or five game. And I, that is unlikely. Um, and so I think we're getting close to, to scratching that off the board. But I, w- I do I, I do think, and I, I said on your radio show this morning, Jeff, I still thought that they'd be the seven. After going through all the schedules, I think I will amend that, my prediction, to the six. I think it, it's going to be tight, but I think there's a – I would maybe predict they'll be the six seed instead of the seven. Your, your, your examination of the schedules revealed that Oklahoma City is a tougher go? Yes, the rest of the way. They have a lot more road games the rest of the way. I think if the Grizzlies can beat OKC, they have to beat OKC here in Memphis when they come. But if they can win that game against OKC, I think they have a pretty good chance to get to the six. We obviously, Ron, saw uh, the Grizzlies beat San Antonio. Does it suggest to you that San, anything about that game suggests a vulnerability on the part of San Antonio that would make that um, matchup not so unattractive, in fact, not so bad? In fact, maybe even preferable to the Houston matchup. Are you willing to go that far or not? Well, no, I, I think what, what that game showed is, is that they finally had, had rediscovered the defensive identity. Again, as we talk about the loss of New Orleans, defense wasn't the, the problem. So they used those three games against the Eastern Conference, um, Milwaukee, Chicago, Atlanta, uh, and that included Tony Allen to to get back on the grind. Uh, I, I, I just think it's going to be tough for them to beat a, a Spurs team in seven games. Um you know, just like the, the, the Warriors. So, um, and I'm not all that confident, uh, about a Houston matchup just because of the, um, the volume in which they shoot threes. Um, I think for first round success, their best bet is still to get in that four or five with, uh, with Utah or maybe something with the Clippers. Uh, we'll wrap this up, but I did think the, 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 the topic that is sweeping the NBA uh, this week is the whole issue of rest. Ron, you said David Fisdale had some interesting thoughts on this whole topic. What were they? What are your thoughts? Well, I mean, um, I, I, we asked him about when this controversy was born. You remember that game several years ago when, when, when Popovich sent Duncan, Ginobili, Parker, and somebody else, uh, maybe Danny Green, back to San Antonio before they went to Miami. And David Stern jumped in, find the Spurs, and everybody went nuts. And Fizz said what, what I was thinking at the time. They almost lost that game, the Heat. <laughs> it was a hell of a game. Right. <laughs> so he would just say that's what he remembered. But he said they that they just thought that was pop being popping. And um and and you know, ultimately, you know, teams and the and the league have got to come to an agreement. Uh I think everybody agrees that there's gotta be a better way. You you can't have your stars just sitting out all willy-nilly when they're healthy and can play. Uh I understand the science say otherwise. But it's not good for the product, and I think that's the the, the side that Fizz uh, lands on. It's funny because it's very fashionable among NBA writers to to sort of uh, 
poo-poo those who would object and say, oh, get over yourself. Uh, they have to rest, et cetera. That, that tends to be, among the national uh, NBA writers, the stance. Both of you come down in a different place. Uh, Chris, and you, you do too, right? Uh, yeah, I do. I, I, think, I think you have to recognize at the end of the, the day that the NBA is an entertainment enterprise. It's a business. And so you have these TV networks paying a billion dollars for a television package, and then you're having stars sit on these national TV games. That at some point, if that keeps happening, that's going to trickle down to to the to the teams and to the players, and then you have individual people. They're spending their hard earned money on, on tickets, on 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 their cable packages, on their league pass, and so I, I I agree with Ron that it's hurting the product, and ultimately it is an entertainment product. It's not a competitive enterprise that only exists among the players. It, it's something that people pay to watch, and so I think it's a serious problem that the league has to do something about. I don't think that something is forcing teams to 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 play players if they have a legitimate reason not to, whether that's injury or fatigue or whatever. I mean, I, I do take that seriously, but I think to start, you have to address it from a scheduling perspective, and they're going to start doing that next season when they take a, a week off the preseason and get a little bit more air in the schedule and hopefully have fewer back-to-backs. Then on the other hand, I don't, I don't think Adam Silver is wrong to suggest that owners sort of put their foot down a little bit and say, if we're going to rest players, let's not rest them on the marquee TNT games, that that's counterproductive to the entire enterprise in the NBA. So I, I don't think that it's an unreasonable sort of avenue for Ad, for Adam Silver to go down. Well, isn't it interesting that the reason that Mike Conley is the highest paid NBA player is because of TV? <laughs> right. That's where, that's where all this money's coming yeah. from. Yes. It's yeah. absolutely where it's coming from. All right. We will be back yeah. next week. Ron, have a safe trip, uh, and we will uh, we'll reconvene this time next week. Thank you for listening, everybody, and we will talk to you then. For the latest news and analysis, follow the Commercial Appeal on Twitter at Memphis News. This is the Commercial Appeal.